So awesome. Um, hello, Neil. <laughs> hey, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. Thanks. Good. Um, I was hoping that you could introduce um, yourself as the chair of the Alberta chapter for backcountry hunters and anglers, as well as what the group does and kind of who makes up the group. Sure. Uh, so yeah, I am the uh, chair of the uh, chapter and I have been since we founded uh, back in 2017. Uh, so myself and several other um, uh, really motivated uh, Albertans actually came together uh, and essentially uh, demanded that we uh, uh, BHA form a chapter within Alberta, uh, primarily because uh, we saw the need for a voice such as ours. Um, and what that voice is, is if uh, no one's familiar with uh, backcountry hunters and anglers, uh, we focus primarily on the public uh, land and water access as well as uh, protection. So really fancy way of saying that uh, we love taking care of the habitat uh, that we uh, rely on for uh, both our hunting and fishing. Uh, so I will stress that we are 100% volunteer uh, run. Uh, so all of us have put in a lot of time. Uh, all of us on the board have uh, put in hundreds of hours uh, each year, basically uh, getting the chapter up and running and uh, essentially just maintaining. Um, so what we do is we tend to uh, see what the issues are in the Alberta landscape. Um, and basically if it falls within BHA's mandate, so such anything that typically involves the public lands, uh, we'll basically take a look at it. Uh, if it falls, uh, if we feel that there's something that we can do for uh, with it, whether it be raise its profile, issues profile, or actually uh, ask the government to take action, uh, we uh, we uh, jump on on top of that. Okay, great. Um, so we've had a few big events occur, I guess, since <laughs> uh, last March, uh, March of 2020. Um, with our parks, um, that was probably the biggest one in 2020. Um, and since then we've seen, uh, public engagement on a recreational land user fee. And we are currently looking at the opening of a coal mine in the Southeast corner of the province. Um, so let's, let's start with the Alberta parks situation because that's the, the first one on my list there um so for those of no those that aren't quite sure what happened um from what i could find from my research in march of 2020 approximately 175 parks were put up to be closed or removed from the alberta park system um this was equating to approximately 16,000 hectares um of public land being losing its parks protection. Um, and there was a announcement that 164 of those would be handed over to third parties. Um, yep. So this was done um, from my understanding with no consultation. And the reasoning was to save approximately $5 million per year in budget. Um, I would love for it, for you to, uh, maybe speak to that a little bit more if you could. Um, sure. Um, uh, so people will probably wonder why BHA actually, uh, spoke out about that. Um, and after a lot of uh, consideration on the board, uh, we chose to speak out primarily because uh, it does actually have an impact on hunting and angling. 
uh, a lot of us actually do utilize these parks, uh, not so much to hunt within because hunting is uh, prohibited for the most part within uh, Alberta parks, uh, but essentially just to act as a staging area, uh, less so in the hunting season, more so in the fishing season. Um, if no one's really familiar uh, with how uh, a number of these uh, uh, parks are set up, they're typically set up in very scenic uh, areas of uh, the province or uh, areas that are of high value to Albertans for uh, recreational activities. Uh, so when we saw that uh, something like this uh, magnitude and as you identify like 164 parks uh, just being delisted suddenly, it kind of raised a few eyebrows. And uh, basically, as we began digging into it, and I'm sure uh, we both looked at the exact same uh, uh, media releases that was put out uh, to save $5 million with no public consultation, uh, that just seemed wrong, like it didn't smell right. Uh, so we made it uh, known and uh, we were gratified to see that uh, a couple of their um, uh, hunting groups, hunting angling groups around the province uh, agreed with us and they actually came out and uh, said something as well, which is good. Uh, but yeah, we were a little shocked uh, considering that we're only talking $5 million and uh, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, I guess if you want to look at it this way, with pandemic that occurred this year, uh, Albertans uh, discovered that they really like parks and uh, I'm sure you've seen the uh, media reports or even witnessed it yourself, but uh, apparently everyone in Alberta decided that they had to go out and visit parks this summer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Which is good, uh, but it's also bad because we saw a lot of pressures on random, uh, of, in terms of random camping on public lands, uh, which obviously had a detrimental effects uh, on hunting and angling as well. But uh, notwithstanding the part uh, that Albertans really do love parks, uh, we as Albertans love parks as well, uh, which is why we kind of raised the profile. Uh, we did write a letter to the minister um, and we did get a response basically saying that uh, they would be looking for appropriate uh, partners. Um, and there's really not much we could do about that. But uh, thankfully, other organizations uh, such as uh, CPAWS, uh, they weighed in and they actually carried out a, a ultimately a successful campaign to uh, get the uh, parks decision uh, rescinded or actually uh, retracted, which I think is an, a great win for Albertans everywhere. Okay, so it's a, it's officially retracted then. <laughs> Yeah, uh, if you look at how the government worded it, is uh, they actually never had plans to do it. Uh, so take that as you will. Uh, but the concerning thing is, is that when they released the list of parks that would, are no longer going to be delisted, uh, there's actually several parks that were not on that list. And uh, I will caveat that. Uh, I haven't looked at it uh, lately, but the, the parks that I'm aware of that were not uh, put back onto the list, list are the ones that are actually impacted by the uh, forthcoming uh, mines uh, down in Oldman. Uh, so we can talk about that in a little bit if you'd like. Okay. Yeah, no, that'd be, that'd be good. Um, I, uh, I won't hold my breath too much on that one, considering that the minister of environment was saying that not a single square meter or centimeter was for sale while the parks website um, at the time directly said <laughs> these lands would be put up for sale. So we'll have to see how this one pans out. Um, so you mentioned the the great campaign by CPAWS, um, which is awesome. That's uh, great to hear that there was a retraction. Um, but what can what can Albertans still do? Um, can they like? Is it still worth contacting your MLA and and informing them that hey, you guys were looking at doing this, and and I don't agree with this now or even into the future. Uh, and that's actually a good point. Uh, that is one of the things that we did is uh, we uh, came up with an email tool uh, that would automatically identify who your MLA was. So 
all people had to do is basically go onto our website, type in their uh, uh, their postal code, uh, and they would actually look up the appropriate uh, MLA, and um, they would actually have to just hit send, or they can alter the uh, letter uh, that they want to send to the MLA. Um, Honestly, that's the, the most effective way of uh, advocating for anything. Um, I know a lot of people love petitions and whatnot, and I do agree they do have their places. Uh, but one thing that we noticed, and this was, uh, again, a witness on the parks, um, the fact that if all of a sudden all these MLAs begin getting emails uh, from their constituents, they actually said, like, what's going on? Uh, and they actually have to dig in a little bit further, primarily because they find that uh, people who uh, spend the time to actually send a letter, whether it be fiscal or an email, uh, to their MLA, they tend to actually be very persistent and they want an answer. Uh, and uh, some of the reports that we had gotten from uh, a number of our members is, uh, hey, our MLA got back to us and uh, they actually had no idea this was going on. And uh, you could actually see the message uh, start to shift over the uh, span of the uh, past eight months uh, with the parks issue. And you saw, you said it yourself, like initially uh, uh, the parks were for sale, then all of a sudden they're not for sale. And then we just saw basically changes in the uh, uh, government's the messaging from that point on. So. The pressure works, and you'll see it's going to be a recurring theme from uh, uh, for all the topics that we talk about tonight. Is uh, we heavily encourage all of our members and non-members uh, to, if you want change, you got to tell your MLA that you want change. Uh, that's the only way they know. Um, it's fine and dandy to go on social media and say, "Hey, I'm angry about this." Uh, if you bring it to the next level and actually send a, a letter again, whether it be email or physical letter to your MLA, uh, that uh, carries its weight in gold. Um, a few of our more hardcore um, people who are quite concerned about uh, these issues, they would actually f uh, make phone calls uh, to the uh, MLA offices and actually schedule appointments. And I'll be honest, if you want to scare the hell out of a politician, ask for a meeting because they have to look in the eye and say, yep, yeah, uh, we screwed up or uh, this is why we did something the way they did. Yeah. Um, just for everyone listening, I'm going to include in the show notes for this episode um, who you can and how to get a contact or who you can get in contact with and how you can get in contact with them. Um, so that not only includes like the MLA search list, which is super easy to do. You just put in your postal code and it tells you who your MLA is. I also have included the um, Minister of Environment's email. So that's the AEP minister email. And um, we'll get into the coal mine subject next. I think that'd be a good flow. I've also included the Minister of uh, Energy contact information on that because um, the current Minister of Energy is responsible for the, um, the reduction or the elimination of the coal uh, act, I believe it was, um, that protected the foothills and the Rocky Mountains here. Um, so you said that a couple of the parks, several of the parks were uh, not included in the relisting um, and that they're in this coal mine proposal. So um, how about we get into that a little bit more? What's, what's happening there? We've seen, I've seen a uh, market increase in the presence on social media about this subject matter. Um, actually, most recently, uh, you guys reposted it uh, first, or you're the first ones I saw about Corblund, um, an Alberta, good old Alberta boy, uh, musician, rancher, um, jack of all trades. He spoke out about this um, and the impact that this could have um, on wide, wide reaching with the, the proposal of the Grassy Mountain Mine 
at the headwaters of the Old Man River. Yeah, uh, and actually, uh, it was a few hours ago, I believe Paul Brandt uh, released his own video as well, or his own uh, letter of support uh, to Corp. So it looks like the uh, the good old boys are uh, stepping up to the plate here. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Uh, but yeah, to recap, uh, essentially, yeah, if you want to talk about coal policy, uh, so what happened is uh, back, uh, uh, I believe it was May of uh, last year, so May of 2020, uh, the government announced that they were rescinding the uh, coal uh, policy. So it wasn't, a, it's not a legislative act. It was just basically a policy that was put into place uh, back in the, uh, I believe it was 1976 is when it was introduced. And uh, the back history of that is, and this is actually super fascinating. So uh, bear with me. Oh no, for uh, sure. The, I love it. <laughs> the reason why the uh, coal policy was actually introduced was uh, there was the exact same rumblings uh, back in the late 60s uh, that they were going to look at the uh, Oldman area, actually anywhere along the southern, um, yeah, or sorry, the eastern slopes. Um, and basically they wanted to be in developing uh, coal. Uh, so uh, what happened is essentially a bunch of uh, hunting and angling groups caught wind of this. Uh, and they began uh, raising hell essentially and saying, no, this is uh, not the way uh, we envision basically uh, Southern Alberta going. Uh, they recognize it's gonna basically be uh, a huge detriment to their hunting and angling um, uh, abilities. It stopped me if it sounds super familiar. <laughs> and uh, what had happened is they essentially, uh, they told the government uh, along with a number of other, um, uh, what you would call uh, environmental uh, NGOs, uh, as ranchers and other stakeholders that uh, have a uh, basically a place in the landscape saying, hey, uh, this needs to be consulted on. And uh, what they did is actually forced the Alberta government back in the 1972, I believe, uh, to hold uh, public consultations uh, to basically come up with a coal policy. So uh, the interesting thing is, is essentially hunters and anglers back then had the foresight to say, hey, we want to have, uh, we want to be able to set aside an area for our uh, the future generations to enjoy as much as we have. Um, and to me, that's just awesome, right? So I feel that, okay, we're not the only people that uh, actually came up with this bright idea. So to me, it's uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, so the cult policy, essentially what it did for anyone who's interested is it protected the heart of the uh, Alberta Rockies uh, from being mined. Um, why that, uh, why is that a big deal? Uh, primarily because if anyone's ever seen it, uh, what a strip mine looks like or strip uh, coal mine looks like, uh, take a look on Google Earth uh, around the Elk Valley area and you'll see very quickly what the strip mines look like from the satellite. Um, I would also mention like kind of closer to home, um, you can go look at the Rob area. Um, there are two coal mines there. There's um, the Coal Valley uh, strip coal mine. Um, and there's, I can't remember what the other one right now is. Um, I'm trying to blank, but yeah, there's two, two coal mines up there. Um, so a little bit closer to home, but sorry to derail you. <laughs> no. Uh, and that's, and that's just it, right? So like there are existing, uh, coal mines, uh, in place within Alberta. Um, and unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, it's, uh, they're, uh, just as, uh, exposed to the, um, economics as uh, any other uh, exploitable resource. And what I mean by that is these mines have a tendency to open up uh, and then all of a sudden when the price of coal drops off, they shut down, which basically takes all those people, throws them out of work, and then all of a sudden we're stuck with a mine uh, that is there. Um, so the, ultimately that's what the, the uh, folks back in the 1970s did not want uh, to see, which is why the coal policy was enacted after, again, uh, three years worth of uh, public consultation by the Alberta government. 
Um, so again, uh, flash forward to last uh, summer and all of a sudden that same coal policy that actually protected the Rockies uh, from uh, essentially uh, coal mines, uh, it was rescinded. Uh, almost immediately after that, uh, there was a number of uh, exploration uh, licenses that were issued to a number of Australian companies. And then uh, next thing you know, we have a bunch of exploratory uh, roads uh, being cut across, uh, again, around the Oldman North area, uh, looking for coal. Uh, so the suddenness of it, uh, the lack of co uh, public consultation, uh, it began raising a lot of concerns, which is uh, why BHA began uh, again, uh, debating within the board whether or not we take this on because it is uh, it's a pretty big uh, deal uh, for all of us and uh, obviously uh, the time commitment that would go with it. Uh, and ultimately, we just felt that uh, this is something we actually have to spend a lot of time on and we made that decision and uh, we began writing letters, uh, which you'll see up on our website at uh, backcountryhunters.org under the appropriate chapter. Uh, so we wrote a letter to the Minister of Energy as well as the uh, Minister of Environment. Uh, basically asking what's going on. Uh, again, where was the public consultation? This has a huge uh, impact. And I'm going to stay away from uh, some of the other um, uh, concerning items. I'll just focus on the hunting and angling. If mm -hmm. anyone's ever seen what happens to uh, fish when they're exposed to selenium, uh, for lack of a, what it does is it uh, essentially it poisons the fish. Uh, they end up um, getting a number of uh, birth defects and it, it literally kills off the population, which is not great. Uh, the other problem is obviously from the hunting perspective is that we lose all that hunting access. Um, it doesn't seem like a big deal because people say, well, there's lots of Rockies. You can go hunt there. Well, that's great, but we're losing this access. And that's is something that should concern everyone. The other issues also uh, disrupts um, animals. Uh, so it begins pushing out elk. It begins pushing out uh, grizzly bears, black bears, uh, bighorn sheep, you name it, it uh, basically disrupts their lives or their uh, uh, migratory routes and whatnot. So this is why we're concerned about it. BHA is uh, basically putting a lot of effort into raising the profile. And uh, again, I'm just going to go back to it from an advocacy perspective. Uh, we've set up a website uh, for people to do uh, exactly what we talked about is send a physical letter to, or a, an email uh, off to their ministers. Uh, and right now, actually, as of a couple minutes ago, uh, we just broke 1,500 letters uh, that were sent out. And our tools have been active for roughly, uh, I want to say, eight weeks now, uh, with the majority of the uh, emails going out within the past week, uh, primarily because the angling community has just figured out uh, that this is a bad thing. Yeah. Um, so I guess getting into the hunting aspect of it, I mean, that area from my research and that's both online and boots on the ground. It's a place that I've been uh, to trying to hunt. Um, it's a pretty critical place for uh, bighorn sheep. Um, and not too far from there, you actually have, um, I believe it's called Plateau Mountain, um, which is like critical wintering grounds um, for bighorn sheep. Um, not only that, I've seen sorry if I'm blowing up your, your hunting spot, but there was only 15 people that got mule deer, uh, draws in that zone anyways. Um, but I've seen a lot of mule deer and mule deer are, are suffering right now in our province with chronic wasting disease, especially on the Eastern side. Um, we are, we're trying to combat that. And so having critical habitat for those mountain mule deer taken out, could be very detrimental. Um, 
and as and well so as elk. Yeah. And, and elk as well. Yeah. And then I've seen bighorn sheep, um, up in that area. And, and I personally, I love seeing bighorn sheep. Uh, I grew up in the, the Edson area. So I am familiar with like the Rob, uh, Cataman location. And, and it was always cool going down there and, and seeing those bighorn sheep. So, um, they're very majestic, uh, creatures to have on the landscape and, I, uh, this week I've actually been participating in sheep week. Um, one of the benefits of, of, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, I guess, is that they've gone virtual, which gave me the opportunity to actually participate. And, and there's a huge focus on Canadian sheep and looking at Alberta's history with bighorn sheep. Like we have one of the, the healthiest populations, um, that that's going and, and, it, it just seems like putting a coal mine in the middle of that would not be beneficial. Um, to add to the angling side of things, I, I did some, some research and talking about selenium, you know, getting into the waterway if something were to happen. So to just for people to understand the reach of the headwaters of the Old Man River, um, this river eventually flows into the South Saskatchewan, which then flows through Saskatchewan, down through Saskatoon, uh, meets up with the North Sask, becoming the Saskatchewan River, which eventually flows into Lake Winnipeg in Manitoba. Um, and then that eventually flows all the way out to the Hudson Bay. Um, so we're not just talking about, you know, one little river in our, in our province. We're talking about a, a connection of rivers that eventually leads to the Hudson Bay and, and our Arctic Oceans. And uh, part and parcel of that is actually, uh, and you're going to hear this a lot, is the uh, West Slope cutthroat trout. Um, these mines are actually being plopped right in the middle of a critical habitat for these trout. Uh, why it's a, such a big deal is that these are the last remaining strongholds of uh, cutthroats, uh, pure bred, or uh, yeah, uh, pure uh, strain, I should say, uh, West Slope cutthroat uh, trout in uh, North America. And uh, they're, they're a threat. Actually, they are a SAR listed uh, species. Um, and also a bull trout. Uh, there's a number of uh, bull trout populations that uh, have uh, rapidly declined uh, due to uh, pollution and whatnot or resource uh, extraction. And uh, this is simply not gonna help things. Uh, so there's a number of different angles and uh, keep in mind that we're just talking about one uh, mine uh, and we're not, uh, the killer is we're not even talking about Grassy Mountain. That's a little, little bit different from what's uh, happening right now. Oh, okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, basically th uh, that entire area that we're referring to, which is uh, basically from Crow's Nest Pass all the way up to uh, Kananaskis, uh, that's all under threat essentially of strip mines. Yeah. Um, so from my, my digging, um, there is still a federal approval process, uh, that's required for this, um, as well as there's a court challenge that is to be heard next week, um, by an indigenous group, uh, I'm pretty sure, um, that's putting that in due to lack of consultation and. Uh, so I can comment a little bit about that. Uh, so there's actually three judicial reviews uh, that were uh, brought forward. Uh, two were brought forward by um, independent uh, First Nation groups. Uh, and I believe the main, and don't quote me again, uh, but I believe the claim was a uh, lack of consultation. 
uh, with the uh, uh, First Nations uh, folks uh, within the area. The third uh, judicial review is actually brought forward by two ranchers and uh, BHA is actually part of that. Uh, we have applied to become uh, an intervener on the uh, ranching uh, judicial reviews, though you are correct. Uh, they are going to be held next week, but I believe the uh, timing is going to be put out a couple more uh, weeks because uh, the government of Alberta has asked that all three judicial reviews be consolidated into one because uh, then it makes just life easier. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so there's a number of um, uh, parties that are involved in this. Uh, so on, our, on the ranching uh, judicial review, uh, it's Alberta BHA, CPAWS has come in, uh, Livingston Landowners Group, Alberta Hiking Association, and likely a few other groups that uh, um, I can't think of right now. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of concerned uh, groups that have, uh, unfortunately, we've had to pursue the illegal route. Uh, but ultimately, all three judicial reviews, the, um, the ultimate goal is uh, to ask the government of Alberta to actually carry out consultations uh, prior to rescinding the uh, coal policy. Uh, that's more or less uh, what uh, we're trying to resolve here. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there anything else that I missed or that we've missed with regards to the coal mines? Um, yeah, well, let's, yeah, let's uh, explore it a little bit more. Uh, okay. And don't get me wrong, I'm not a coal expert, but I can, uh, I'll happily chat about it. Yeah. Um, so I can, I can say I'm a bit of a coal expert. <laughs> oh, um, that's good. In, in that I, for, I mean, full disclosure, I participated in some strip mining um, for coal to help pay my way through college and university. So, um, you know, I've been a part of the resource extraction industry, um, but I think that gives me an interesting perspective on the the impact of it as well. Like I've seen it firsthand and it's, it's pretty easy to ignore when it's just uh, some hill way over there. But when you've actually been a part of it and you're like, wow, I like... I took down that mountain or helped take down that mountain. It's a, uh, it's a different trip and, and I feel really connected to this. So. And I think that's actually a really good point. Uh, Cause I'm, I'm willing to bet that uh, the majority of Albertans uh, either are directly or indirectly involved in resource extraction of some sort. Uh, it's Alberta. We're known, uh, known for oil and gas, uh, lesser, um, uh, not as much for coal. Uh, but we also are involved in forestry and so on and so forth. Uh, I've actually spent the past two and a half decades uh, in oil and gas. Uh, I've done everything from natural gas wellheads all the way up to one of the largest oil sands facilities in Alberta. So I'm, yeah, um, the point I'm trying to make though is uh, BHA itself is actually not anti-resource um, development. Uh, we fully acknowledge that it's going to be done in a balanced uh, fashion, which is ultimately where the consultation comes into place. If someone were to propose to dump an oil sand um, mine in the middle of uh, the prairies, people would get just as uh, bent out of shape. So yeah. this is where the consultation comes in. Open communication with the public, uh, I think, goes a long way. And that's ultimately uh, where we're coming from, as well as a number of other groups. Um, so just to uh, touch a little bit uh, further, because you hear a lot about this, like right now, everyone's talking about Grassy Mountain, uh, primarily because the uh, public input period is wrapping up on January 15th, which is tomorrow. Uh, and that's actually that uh, public uh, input uh, period uh, followed the uh, public hearings that were held back in December. Grassy Mountain actually preceded all this because uh, they, uh, the mine that was being proposed uh, was actually outside of these category two uh, lands which were not uh, covered by the coal policy. Um, so I'm glad that uh, people are uh, getting uh, involved in Grassy Mountain, but they have to recognize that uh, this is actually one of six 
Uh, so Grass Mountain is the furthest along the line. The next uh, five mine proposals that are coming down the pipe, which is what we're worried about, uh, are all basically around that uh, Crow's Nest uh, Pass area, all the way up to Kananaskis. Uh, the Alberta government actually just sold a number of leases, uh, coal mining uh, leases in Bob Creek. Uh, so if any of your listeners are, have spent any time in uh, Bob Creek, um, they're exploring for coal up there. Uh, it's all on the um, uh, public domain. You can actually look up and see where these uh, leases are uh, being sold off. Uh, the mine I'm talking about, uh, the one by uh, the, sorry, off, forgive me. Uh, I believe it's, uh, crap. I'll look it up in a second. Uh, the mine that I'm referring to, that's actually uh, uh, the exploration roads were just being carved in um, around Upper Oldman, North Race Cork, uh, Racehorse Creek, as well as Dutch Creek. Uh, all three of those areas are smack dab in the middle of a strip mine, uh, a proposed strip mine. If you look at Upper Oldman specifically, uh, basically they found coal literally across the street from this park. So. What we're a little concerned about is the government is saying, yeah, there's no development going into these parks. That's great, but they've literally got development coming up to the border of the park. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think a lot of folks are going to want to go camping or fishing in the middle of a strip mine. Um, I just, it's not a compatible use, obviously. Uh, no, and then with uh, blasting, they end up closing down those parks temporarily anyways, because it's deemed unsafe for the public to be around. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and that's, uh, uh, sorry, the company's name is uh, Atrium, uh, which if you look back, they actually are, uh, uh, they're owned by, they're an Australian company. Uh, uh, Atrium is the uh, Canadian subsidiary of it, uh, but ultimately all the mines that are being proposed are actually uh, owned by Australians. Uh, and we can talk about that <laughs> further if you'd like, but I'll be honest, like from a hunting and angling perspective, what we're primarily concerned about is uh, loss of access uh, as well as the, um, the impact to the habitats. And yes, uh, the argument's gonna be made that while we can always uh, rebuild the habitat, I'm sure you can, uh, but you're never gonna get back to the state that it was. Uh, you're never gonna be able to undo the damage essentially. Um, again, I would just point out, show me one mine anywhere that uh, has not had any uh, pollution issues, whether it be waterborne, airborne or groundborne. Uh, but yeah, well, like yeah. I said, I can tell you from experience, like it doesn't go back. Um, every everywhere that i helped dig up is now a lake where a mountain used to sit or you know some kind of hill so it's like i said it's quite a trip being a part of that but then going back and seeing it afterwards you're like wow like this this went up and now it's going down <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> there's not much i could say about it um yeah, uh, again, just the sheer magnitude of what's going on, uh, and we just keep coming back to it. Uh, what's the impact? Uh, but primarily, if the Alberta public is in favor of this, by all means, uh, uh, basically uh, put in as many mines as you want. This is not a case of, uh, I don't want this in my backyard, uh, because like, again, uh, I believe there's a duty uh, that was displayed by the Alberta government back in the early 70s to do public consultations. And we're simply asking, well, you put all this work into doing the public consultations back then, why would you not put in the equivalent work to either update the um, existing coal policy or uh, streamline it or whatever they're, uh, they're calling it today? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, what else? What else do we have? On that uh, high note. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I believe uh, you also want to talk about um, the Crown Land Vision um, Survey, which is, uh, I'm not sure if uh, your listeners are familiar with that. 
but actually on a topic of uh, consultation, this is something that uh, we're actually uh, pretty happy that the government has done. Uh, so what they are doing is they're actually asking the Alberta public, uh, what should we do to essentially uh, help fund or uh, basically uh, manage our crown land? And I'm gonna butcher it. So if there's anyone from uh, Alberta Environment and Parks listening, uh, just plug your ears for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what they're, uh, the government is essentially asking is, hey, we want to charge, uh, um, or is the Alberta public okay with uh, being charged user fees to go into Crown land? Uh, and why they're, uh, uh, they're saying that is they recognize that infrastructure is lacking. Uh, so it needs a, a huge injection of capital, uh, basically to meet the demand that we saw, especially uh, in the past year. Um, as well as uh, uh, basically how do we spend this money that we're going to be ostensibly raising uh, from these user fees. Uh, so um, BHA is actually in favor of it. We've actually written a letter, a public letter to uh, Minister Nixon in regards to that. Uh, and we've also encouraged every single one of our members uh, as well as non-members via social media and other uh, means to uh, basically have their voice heard because we strongly believe, uh, hey, the government's asking us something. They're asking us uh, what we uh, should be doing with our public lands. We really need to uh, weigh in on this. So we support the user fees uh, for activities uh, where essentially there's uh, three um, variables essentially. So if there's activities that use significant infrastructure, like say campgrounds, uh, if anyone's ever been to campground, there's usually a whole bunch of stuff around now, like picnic tables, fire pits, uh, trash containers, uh, as well as uh, washrooms. Uh, that stuff does not come cheap, uh, and it's not cheap to maintain, uh, to maintain either. Uh, other activities that would incur environmental damages, uh, use your imagination, but anything that basically leaves a mark uh, uh, within the landscape, uh, that's something that uh, has to be remediated at some point, otherwise it just basically gets worse and worse and worse. Uh, and activities that uh, create a significant maintenance cost. So it would be the same thing. Like if you're going to pop a trail in, uh, and that trail is heavily used, uh, whether it be by motorized or non-motorized, uh, the government needs money to essentially just maintain it so it doesn't uh, uh, fall into disrepair. So under those three conditions or those three variables, we support user fees. Uh, we do not support user fees if you want to go hiking, uh, if you're going to go hunting on foot, uh, if you're going to go fishing. To us, that's uh, not compatible. And actually, uh, we believe if um, those activities are uh, extremely low uh, barrier to entry, so why should people be penalized for doing that? That being stated, that's our specific uh, viewpoint. I know there's other organizations uh, that uh, will likely differ from what we're saying, but overall, uh, we are in favor of the user fees uh, for the Crown Line vision. Yeah, um, when they started, when the whole thing started in March, um, I actually wrote a letter to the um, environment minister um, kind of in support, I guess, of user fees. I was just saying like, there are so many other options that you guys could have done to raise $5 million, um, which to me, um, depending on like what the, the amount of usage our Rocky Mountains get here in Alberta, the amount of tourism that we have, I, I don't feel like that'd be a hard thing to do. Um, and I was, I was looking at like other places that have been like Montana. Um, they have like, you can buy a, your, it's like a state park pass um, and you can get a special license plate um, that says like, hey, I've already paid my, you know, annual fee through my my registration um, to do this and, and things like that. And you get access to like all the 
all the state parks for free. I mean, you don't have to pay when you show up. And I think you get a reduced um, camping fee as well when you do go to some campsites, some state-run campsites. And and I was just I I was so blown away that they're in in March that they're it was an all-or-nothing approach, and there wasn't like because obviously there wasn't that consultation. But yeah, like as hunters and anglers, we're very used to kind of paying fees to be on the land, right? Like we, we all pay for our hunting licenses our angling licenses um, and all the other tags and stuff that we buy on top of that. And, and um, it might be a bit of a shock for other outdoor users to have to pay some sort of a fee. Um, but uh, I think this will be good. And, and hopefully the government will also update their processes. Um, I remember, I think it was not last summer, it's summer of 2008, uh, 2019. Uh, one of the parks that actually was slated to be completely, um, how did they word it? To have a full closure? Yeah, one of the parks that they had a full closure. Uh, I went to go camping there. It was, it's out by Drum Heller. It's called Little Fish Lake. And, and I was blown away that there was no credit card option on the camping site thing. Like we had to run all the way into town, get, you know, 20 bucks from the the bank machine and then go find somewhere to break it just to put the the $5 user fee. Like that's, that's a lot of work where it's like, you know, maybe we could just update this a little bit and, <laughs> and make it yeah. easier. So I don't necessarily think, um, recreational land user fees are problematic. Um, I read the letter that BHA put out about it and I, I completely agree. Um, but I still feel like people, uh, the general public needs to be more aware that this is happening and that their voices can be heard on this subject matter. Cause maybe they've experienced things that they feel that these user fees could go towards. Um, to help benefit their experiences, even if they're not hunters and anglers, if they're just hikers or the occasional camper, stuff like that. Yeah, and I think uh, kudos to Alberta Environment and Parks. Uh, they actually took a very uh, focused approach on this one. They made sure that every single user uh, group that was registered on, they've literally got a list of all the groups that they should be talking to. Uh, they were all contacted and said, hey, uh, this is coming. Uh, please uh, essentially get it out to your members that we need to hear your voice. Um, and shortly after that, they actually set up a, a meeting with every single group uh, who was interested uh, with the um, AP director in charge of that program uh, to basically get their thoughts and, uh, hey, like, what do you think of this? So you can actually have that one-on-one -on -one conversation. So um, to me, I said, to me, that's what public consultation is. Uh, they're actively engaging. Uh, so when I talked to the director, it was mid-December. Uh, I asked him, "Hey, how's uh, like how's the feedback going?" And uh, he said, at the time, uh, the survey had only been open for whatever three, four weeks, and um, they already had some like three thousand uh, respondents, uh, which, trust me, that's a big deal. Uh, typically, when a government uh, does consult or any types, uh, any types of surveys and stuff like that, it's a, it's a great day when they only get 500 respondents. But to get 3,000, uh, that uh, told them something. So um, I don't know what the number is up to now, but I can imagine with the survey closing uh, tomorrow that uh, the number is uh, well representative of the outdoor uh, recreational uh, landscape that's around uh, Alberta. So 
yeah, uh, honestly, hats off to AP. It's a very difficult thing to execute a, a consultation. It's going to be even harder for them to basically take all these various opinions and kind of consolidate it into very uh, core ideas. Uh, but I think your idea of, um, yeah, because I've had that exact issue where I've gone to pay for a campground at that and they can only take money or a check. It's like, well, I don't carry either. So, <laughs> um, well, yeah, that's this, also a generational thing. <laughs> yeah. And this, um, this, uh, the little fish Creek park, it was completely unmanned. So it's not even like there was someone to talk to. It's, it's purely just someone comes out and checks out. And it's like, I was like, I'd feel bad if I didn't pay for my, my camping fee for the night. So you got to make it work, but it would have been a lot more convenient to just throw my credit card number on there and throw it in the envelope and get charged a week later or whatever it would be. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, uh, what's happened, and I can only say this as an outsider, um, Alberta Parks itself has always undergone uh, a number of, um, they've never been appropriately funded, let's just put it that way. Uh, so they've had to make cuts, which is why you've seen unmanned uh, campgrounds uh, pop up. And unfortunately, the processes haven't been able to catch up. So uh, I think now is a really good chance for uh, the existing government to actually go in, um, do exactly that, do some streamlining, um, basically be able to uh, fund a lot of these shortfalls that they're seeing right now. Uh, one of the biggest things that obviously we called for is enforcement uh, because uh, everyone's had a relatively bad experience or they've had at least one bad experience out in public lands uh, and there's never, unfortunately, uh, enforcement around when you need it. Uh, and that's something that we are asking for uh, to be part, uh, funded in part out of these user fees. So we'll see if the government uh, comes up with that. Yeah, well, we might see that now with um, the sheriffs being encompassed um, under the umbrella that does the uh, conservation officers. Maybe something along those lines, but. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know what you're saying, uh, but I believe the CEO, uh, the problem is, is now the CEOs or conservation officers have the uh, same powers as the sheriffs and uh, what the fear is, uh, whether it be founded or not, is uh conservation officers will no longer be able to actually focus on what they should be doing, which is protecting the Alberta public lands and being uh, called to do other stuff that sheriffs can do. Right. Uh, so that, and I, uh, we are well aware that enforcement's been woefully understaffed for a number of years for various reasons, because everyone wants everything, but they don't want to pay for it. So we can completely commiserate as a taxpayer uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, with, with the, the pain that the government is going through right now. Um, I, I'm not remembering, but in the, in the letter that BHA recommended or, or with the recommendations, um, was having the funding from these user fees going directly to parks? Uh, that was one of the suggestions. Yep. Um, and I believe, I don't think I'm, yeah, uh, it was made public, uh, one form or another. I believe the minister actually came out and publicly stated this as well. Uh, the funds, any user fees will be uh, basically redirected back into the resource, uh, which is, that's what we want to hear. Uh, if people aren't aware, um, specifically actual well, both hunters and anglers, any of your tag fees, uh, they actually get put into general revenue, uh, which uh, there's arguments to and against, uh, uh, for and against that. Um, yeah, I'm not going to get into that argument. Uh, but the problem is uh, all the uh, all your tag revenue goes right into general revenue, which can be basically steered anywhere but the resource. Uh, that's been a bone of contention for a number of years. Uh, ACA does uh, get uh, a certain percentage of those uh, fees back, but by no means is it 100% of the tag uh, allocation. So 
uh, the fact that the minister has publicly stated that no, these uh, new user fees will be basically put into its own little fund. That's fantastic. That's what we want to hear. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I feel like I've been staring at the same breakdown of uh, hunting and fishing fees for like the last five years in the, in the hunting regulations book. It's always the same thing we've raised X number of dollars. And this is where each percentage goes. I'm like, it wasn't until this year that I realized I was like, Oh, wait a second. This is the same thing reprinted every year. <laughs> that was hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, this has been great. I appreciate your time. Um, I, in the show notes, I'll include all communications uh, or forms of communications that people can do to get involved with um, the matters that we talked about. Um, I am including some non-resident options because as we talked about with the Old Man River, I mean, this goes all the way to Manitoba. Um, and I think anyone listening should be able to voice their opinion to someone. Um, so I've given them uh, contact information so that they can talk to their elected officials and their elected officials can hopefully maybe mobilize and, and have a conversation with our elected officials here in Alberta. Um, but to end on a positive note, uh, I'm curious, what are you looking forward to this year? Uh, hunting and fishing wise let's keep it let's keep it hunting and fishing yeah let's uh let's get all the uh, political stuff for a bit um so it's gonna st uh, sound odd but actually i find everything uh every season has something uh so right now i'm actually uh, busy uh, doing a lot of ice fishing it's not everyone's favorite uh, but i'll be honest i catch more fish um, uh, out on the ice than most people do if they're sitting on the couch uh, and if you can catch fish on the couch <laughs> you're doing way Good better than you. i can <laughs> um but it's actually just getting out there um it's uh, i'll be honest it is a lot of fun doing the uh, ice fishing and then that uh, comes spring obviously you have the uh, bear hunting opportunities that pop up uh i actually focus a lot on uh fly fishing uh for pike because uh, uh, spring is actually quite good for that once the ice uh, uh comes off the uh, uh water bodies um yeah i j honestly i'm just out there all the time and i can say the same for uh all of our members like uh, a lot of us just basically get out and spend time outdoors whether it be camp uh, recreating in some uh, format uh, I personally am actually looking forward to uh, getting into the elk again this year. Uh, I had a couple near misses last year, so I'd hopefully I'd be able to uh, seal the deal uh, this uh, uh, fall. Uh, but that's ultimately why I'm actually really concerned about Bob Creek because uh, where I hunt in Bob Creek, uh, that's where they're talking about putting some uh, strip mines into. So <laughs> it's yeah, kind of yeah. a little too close to home there. <laughs> I, I share your, your fears. Um, yeah. I, uh, do you archery hunt for elk? Yeah, I, I've been bow hunting for four or five years now. Um, yeah, I haven't uh, closed it, sealed the deal on an elk yet, but uh, from a deer, uh, there's no greater rush in my mind because uh, I prefer to do the spot and stock. I know some guys uh, love doing the uh, tree stand hunting. Uh, I can't do that. I just start twitching after about five minutes. <laughs> but uh, that's what I get a lot of enjoyment of. But how about yourself? Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting out after an elk again this year. Um, I've been down to the Bob Creek, um, to go elk hunting in that area out on the Waldron, um, places like that. Uh, this year, uh, last year I got 10 yards within an elk and, and just couldn't, couldn't pull it off. Um, this year I had some limited time just because of work, um, in the fall. Uh, and it was right when that smoke rolled in from 
uh, Idaho, was it Idaho, Oregon, down from the States. Um, so I went down for a midday nap and woke up in the smoke and I was like, well, I can't see anything. So I might as well go home. <laughs> um, so, and it was blistering hot then too. It was a good thing. I don't know if I could have gotten it out on my back, um, in time before spoiling any meat there. So looking forward to getting out for some elk. Um, I was one of the unfortunate souls that lost my moose hunt last year because of the closure of the Camp Wainwright hunt. Um, so I, everything, I got everything back plus my priorities. So hopefully I'll be able to connect on that moose uh, this year. That's, that's one of my, my big goals this year. So looking forward. I'll be, I'll be an exciting one. Yeah. I should ask, uh, how much, uh, hunting uh, do you do or hunting or fishing actually do you do on public lands? Uh, all my hunting is on public lands. I think I've done one morning on private land that I happened to get access to, um, just through a friend. There was like, yeah, there might be elk down there. We made a few phone calls and, and unfortunately that didn't pan out, but, um, all my hunting's on public land, uh, and my fishing, I've done, I'm trying to get into fly fishing more. Like I, I enjoy it. I just don't make the time to go out and, and really get good at it. So, um, hopefully next summer, I seem to say that every year. Um, but, uh, the old man is actually where I've spent uh, most of my time fly fishing and just, it's just enjoyable. So. Absolutely. Actually, let's talk about that. Uh, if you want, just, uh, from the BHA angle, um, sure. that's why we actually believe in a lot of the public lands and why we advocate so hard for them is, uh, it doesn't cost you anything to go on public lands. People don't realize that, but we're talking about user fees for this, that, and the other thing, uh, you can happily, uh, load up your rifle or, uh, start to load up your uh, bow, uh, and basically start hiking into public lands. Like it's, it, there's a lot of public lands in Alberta, uh, and people I think overlooked them from a hunting perspective. And the barrier to entry, if you ever want to start hunting or fishing or whatever, uh, it, it you can't get any lower. <laughs> yeah, it's literally if you have four wheels, uh, you can walk in it or you can drive uh, out to, say in uh, Calgary, uh, within an hour you're out in public land somewhere. Uh, so I spend way too much time out in the, the ghost uh, public land use zone. Um, and people seem to complain a lot that they can't find any deer. I have very little issues, uh, but that's because I'm willing to put it into work, right? Like uh, if you go anywhere, like 500 meters off the road, you're going to hit deer. So. Yeah. Um, I've, I find that's with everything. I was a, I don't even remember what part of the group it was, what group it was, but I was part of a Facebook group last year that was like about hunting and people were just like, Oh, you can't get anywhere. There's nowhere to go. And and uh, that drove me last year just to be like looking into maps. And, and now I probably spend more of my time pouring over maps and, and pulling my maps out on my phone. My wife makes fun of me all the time because we'll be driving and all of a sudden my phone will be out. And I'm like, oh, I wonder if this is, and it's like, oh, look, more public land. So I leave a little, little note. And, and if I see something of interest, whether it be at a, you know, a deer or an elk or, or even just a coyote, I kind of mark it and like, oh, maybe this would be a good place to go to. So, um, it's, it's access is not the problem. It's, it's finding out that you have the access that seems to be the problem for, I think a lot of people. And, uh, it can be quite daunting to try and find that information. Um, but once you figure it out, it's, it's pretty, you realize how much land you have access to. 
Yeah, and that's uh, something that actually Alberta BHA spent a lot of time uh, educating people about because uh, we we seem to attract a lot of new hunters uh, for various reasons. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is we're a pretty open group. Like uh, in normal times, uh, we would actually have pretty regular uh, pint nights uh, where basically uh, we would pick a, a topic for that evening, whether it be how to use iHunter, how to read a map, actually how to apply for a tag. Uh, and basically have a beer night basically revolving around that. So if people want to learn basically how to apply for a tag, uh, you should show up at these nights and people uh, talk about it. Uh, uh, the other topic I'm thinking of is uh, actually was access, how to access public land, how to find and uh, access public land. And uh, that was actually one of our best nights ever. I believe we had uh, something like 40 or 50 people show up at the Calgary night uh, that night, which I thought was phenomenal. Was that, uh, I think that was the first one I went to actually was, it could, was yeah, could land access one. It was, it was a really good one. And, yeah. and that opened my eyes quite a bit to, to the land and everything. Yeah. And what we did is, uh, we actually converted to webinars. Uh, so if anyone's been looking at any of our social media, uh, we've been pounding the webinars. It was all through uh, last, uh, spring, summer, a uh, little bit of fall and we're, we will be actually doing some planning, uh, in the next uh, couple of weeks, but we do plan on, uh, rerunning a number of these webinars as well. So we're going to be talking about how to find public land, how to actually get started hunting, how to get started fishing, uh, basically anything we can do to help educate people without having to go and spend $3,000 to be the next uh, Cam Haynes or uh, what have you. You don't need to do that. Like there's ways you can get out hunting uh, on a cheap. And if you want to find uh, hunting mentors or fishing mentors, that's what BHA is all about. Um, the fact that we're doing this in public land that means usually means people aren't giving away their uh, uh, their super private spots or their honey holes or whatnot. Everyone always knows of somewhere in public land where you can bring someone else out, show them how to do the hunting, uh, basically how to read sign uh, and get started. Uh, I personally have mentored a lot of people over the past couple of years, and what BHA has uh, done in order to kind of build out that mentoring program is uh, we've uh, uh, we have a relationship with the Alberta Hunting Education. Um, Instructors Association or HIA, uh, and they'll actually send us uh, people who are looking to be uh, uh, participate in their first or second hunts. Uh, and basically, this is how you hunt. Uh, and uh, BHA is uh, pretty proud of that because we've been able to introduce a lot of people, uh, specifically around college and university age, uh, to hunting or fishing. Uh, you wouldn't believe actually the number of people who uh, have asked us about fishing, which is, I think, cool by itself. But uh, yeah, that's why I really like BHA because we are not your stereotypical uh, hunting and fishing group. Uh, and if again, if you spend any more than uh, five minutes looking at our Facebook group or any of our social media uh, channels, you'd recognize that pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's great. Um, BHA was the first first hunting or like group that I joined. Um, I've since joined a couple other groups just out of interest um, in those groups, but it's definitely the most accessible one um, that I've, I've been a part of. Um, like I had said at the beginning, I was part of Sheep or am part of Sheep Week and the opening seminar that they had for their, their Sheep Week thing was uh, this guy talking about planning and, and going on your first hunt. And he's talking about how back in the 60s, he had the option to spend $5,000 on a new truck or, you know, $5,000 on a sheep hunt. And, and he decided to take the sheep hunt and he's like, I've been hooked ever since. And, and then he's going on for me. He's like, and you know, a sheep hunt nowadays, it costs about the same as a brand new truck. 
And I was like, whoa, this is a whole different level than what I'm used to with like backcountry hunters and anglers where it's like, hey guys, like you can just drive here and all this land is open for you to use um, or to take part in. And it, it's it's quite the experience, but Absolutely. It's, it's good to get different perspectives. I, I, I'm still holding out that you can be like a, a I don't know, in the, in the like hiking and uh, like rock climbing world, they call them dirt bags and just people that are just like doing it bare minimum, um, just squeaking by. And I, I still have hopes that you could be a dirt bag uh, sheep hunter. Um, and I think here in Alberta, we probably have the best opportunity, but um, you know, that, that, that's what I love about the BHA is just the, the amount of information that they give out and, and help and I've met some great people through the BHA that, you know, maybe we don't hunt together because we just hunt in different areas, but, um, you know, online we're, we're talking or like, at least like, Hey, how to go kind of thing. And then you can share your, your sorrows with someone else. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, actually speaking of the, uh, sheep hunting on a cheap, uh, on a cheap, one of our board members, uh, I believe him and his uh, hunting partner were successful this year in uh, getting a uh, sheep. I can't remember where, I believe it was south of the Wilmore, uh, but they hiked in 20 something kilometers. Uh, but I, uh, these are students, uh, basically they don't have uh, very, uh, very much money to their name, uh, but they were able to execute no problem. Uh, that being stated, I think this is probably their third trip out there uh, over the past couple of years. But if you're willing to put the work in, uh, the bounty is definitely at the end of the, uh, the tunnel. Uh, you don't necessarily need to spend like a gazillion dollars to go sheep hunting. It'll definitely make your life a lot easier, but <laughs> it's yeah. like everything. <laughs> yeah. The, the Wilmore, um, just from like a, a camping perspective for me, it's like a dream place to go, but it's a very daunting place. Um, for those of like those listening that don't know about the Wilmore, it's uh, north of uh, Jasper National Park. Um, just outside of Grand Cache would be like the, I think the first town or whatever that you'd get access to it as, and it's, it's huge. Um, I almost had an opportunity to fight wildland fires in there, but, um, ended up getting sent up to Fort McMurray instead, which was a different kind of trip all in itself. Like that's, it's a different world up there as well, but yeah, I've, I've been dreaming about getting into the Wilmore for a few years now. Um, awesome. yeah. So, well, thank you very much. Yep. Not a problem. I hope, uh, hope everyone got a lot of great information out of this and, and, um, yeah, thanks again. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Tyler. All right. Have a great one. Me too. Bye.